Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Do you have a plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our healthy living coaches, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, as they engage in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovation, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your business and personal navigational skills for ultimate achievement. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners, and welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. We are your party network and your informational (laughs) playground. (laughs) We're brought to the airways under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity, and we're your hosts. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Network, and this is the Empowerment Channel. We want to catapult you from wishing upon a star to imagining your dreams as if they've already transpired and helping you to talk as if you are living your dreams so that you can be the writers, producers, and star of your own life. Well, in today's show, this is our Halloween haunting show so it's going to be a, a, a terrific insight of uh, ghouls and gourds and dark hordes. <laughs> so in segment three, coming to us from down under will be Andrew Dre. She's known as Bruin. And he has a book of terror. It's called The Dark Horde. It's part thriller, part crime fiction, and all supernatural horror. So we'll be talking to Bruin uh, later in the show, and you'll get to listen to the trailer for his uh, for his book, and it's it's really quite uh, quite exceptional. So you'll enjoy that. In segment two, we're going to be talking about something that is really very dear to my heart at the moment, and that is a study by John Hopkins University that found that this year over two hundred and fifty thousand deaths were caused by hospital errors or. Um, um, different malpractice suits from hospitals. And I say this dear to my heart because uh, my own mother, Heather's own grandmother, was part of these medical mistakes that make up the third leading cause of death in the United States after heart disease and cancer. So you're going to find out um, how your ER or hospital could be a potential killer and what are the signs that you need to look for. And uh, coming up right in segment one is going to be all about Halloween, which is Heather's favorite holiday. But before we go to that, uh, I want to give you the miracle moment for today, which is being brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charities, Operation Hurricane Matthew Disaster Relief. I have literally been on the phone all week this week with charities and nonprofits in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida, because Be The Star You Are 
is shipping books to disaster relief uh, areas and these organizations so that kids and families can have a book to help them through these tough times and also help them through the holidays. I also want to give a shout out to Brooke Albrees of Children's Success Unlimited for his donation of books. If you would like to get involved in our Operation Disaster Relief, we really would appreciate your donation because we need money for shipping. You can uh, go to bethestarur.org, click on Donate, and go to the PayPal, and it's very easy. Just do it on PayPal. Or if you're the kind of person that wants to send a check, you can send a check to P.O. Box 376, Moraga, California, 94556. And our miracle moment is by Joseph Joubert, and it is, what is true about lamplight is not always true about sunlight. And what I take away from that, Heather, is that what we see in the dark is not what we see in the sunshine or in the light of day. And with that introduction, I want to go to your favorite time of year, which is Halloween. So are you going trick-or-treating? Tell us about what you're doing. Let's find out about the decorations. All those good things. Yeah, well, it's my favorite holiday, but it must be a lot of other people's, too, because Halloween is second to only Christmas as the most commercialized holiday in the United States. Americans spend nearly uh, $2 billion uh, on Halloween, everything that goes with it, candy, costumes, six, uh, excuse me, $600 million pounds of candy are sold every year just for Halloween. 90 million pounds of that is of chocolate. And the number one uh, favorite chocolate uh, uh, trick-or-treat thing is Snickers, allegedly, which uh, was some of these studies done. So, gotta say, I have one to say of over the I years, chocolate, now uh, being daughter of a dentist, Halloween, uh, I think for dentists, is that... Uh, love-hate thing. You love the fact that in a month or so, your offices are going to be filled with kids with cavities, but at the same time, you don't want those kids to have cavities in the beginning. Um, But yeah, for me, I always just loved Halloween, I think, because at our house, um, one, you would make a big thing of, you used to be at the door, kind of, you would dress up as this witch, and it was super scary, and then as you started getting a little bit older, um, you start having a bonfire at the top of our hill, and have peace, and just make it more like a social gathering, because we had this long driveway, so it was, you know, we felt like if you took the, if you made it, you know, the, the journey to get to the top, then you should be rewarded handsomely. And, right, uh, right. Yeah. And, and the adults and kids were rewarded. <laughs> Everybody. I'm sorry? I said the adults and the kids were rewarded. Everybody got oh, rewarded. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I always just thought that was just a fun thing. And when we were younger, too, uh, sometimes we were gone during Halloween uh, because the parents were having, like, these trips. So we were with the parents. And they would turn this house uh, that we'd stay in um, into basically uh, a neighborhood. And so the parents would be behind the doors, and the kids would come around each door, and we'd trick-or-treat. And uh, everyone would put on costumes, and you'd always make us these big elaborate costumes uh, yeah I think Halloween just has that really special memory to me and, and as I've gotten older um, I used to love 
scary things and uh, like scary movies and and now I don't know and not that I don't love them but I'm not it's sort of like a uh, roller coasters. I used to love roller coasters. It isn't that I hate them or anything. No, I'm just not really into it. You know, it's like... Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's not so much you're not so into it, but I think the idea of scary was easy when you were young and you had parents that protected you. And now that you're an adult, you realize that scary really does exist. (laughs) And you don't need any more scary in your life. And it's interesting how many costumes today have veered away from scary costumes to being either funnier or based on movies or, you know, uh, or political characters, right? Oh, yeah. And if any of you are in high school or college and you're a female, you will take any costume and somehow turn it into the risque that, you know, it's like no one can be a nurse. It's got to be the sexy nurse. And no one can be, you know, and even crazy things like a Care Bear. It's like got to be the sexy Care Bear. And I'm not hating on it. I'm totally, I was and even is right now I'm actually We'll see how it's going to go. I'm in the uh, DIY process of making my costume and my husband's costume right now. We're going to be gumball machines. I know that seems so out of left field. I just uh, Googled, like, homemade costumes, simple, and those popped up, and I thought it was really clever. So we'll see. That sounds I'm, so funny. I'm uh, already <laughs> amazed at how long it is taking me to glue on these little puffballs. I kind of underestimated estimating how much time that would take. Uh, but we'll see. I've got a few days. We have a Halloween uh, party on Friday, so I'm trying to get, trying to get it all ready um, for that. Uh, but, you know, when we were talking about scary things, it's something that's so fascinating is humans that they've done studies on this about why do we like to scare ourselves? Why, you know, that's a frightening thing. And um, because when we are legitimately scared, uh, that's horrifying. That, you know, when that feeling when you think someone's behind you or, or something that someone might got into your house or just something, you know, you, when, when you're just scared, you've gotten in a car accident, it's horrible. You, know, you, think, you think something happened and they didn't. That's always the best, the relief. And with our society now, even though there are still big, bad, and scary, scary things in the world, um, there's less scary things because we're no, ma- no more um, these nomadic tribes traveling around. We don't have to worry as much about predator. Now, us ourselves, we are predators against ourselves. It's humans against humans more than worrying about the bears getting us or a lion. Um, and that is a natural thing, that fight or flight, that adrenaline rush. And there's something about knowing that uh, sort of like this suspended reality as that even though in those moments when we watch a scary movie, when we might even go to a haunted house and we are petrified, there is something that we know about it being a false reality, that this movie is going to come to an end. We might have nightmares for the next week and regret that we saw it, but it is a a false reality. And same thing with going to these places. We like that thrill, and it's it's like riding roller coasters. Um, And interesting enough, as we get older, um, that fright thing we tend to, and this is just um, based on these studies, tend to... um, 
not gravitate as much towards uh, the, the horror, the scarier things, because as an adult, we start realizing, we start seeing the scaries of life, and especially I think when people start having children, it gives them even more fright of light, that you're just trying to keep that thing alive, uh, there's scarier things, you know, you, you don't want additional scaries, but kids love it, and uh, I think that's a great thing, I think also too, when it comes to scary, if you have kids, if you are an adult, or if you're someone who loves scary, and if if you try to encourage it, you know, always try to share the things that are special to you with your children. Um, but if you do have a child that is just not grooving on the end, on the uh, scary stuff, and even when you say, um, oh, don't worry, you, know, you know, it's just, you'll enjoy it, it's just scary, you know, it's, it's not real, it's not that scary, um, that can actually cause traumatizing things for kids in later in life because they'll have these negative associations with it. So kind of feel out with your kids how they're feeling towards you know, the spookier things, and maybe use age-appropriate things, kind of easing in um, on the scary. Some kids from the get-go just love the blood and guts and gore, and some kids, you know, maybe they want to start as, you know, the the little devil, and then eventually they'll be the big gory devil. Um, they're kind of easing it in with things. Um, for us this year, we're really excited. We just got uh, our first house, so we're going big. Um, and kind of carrying on your traditions that sense trying in a way. Yeah, uh, tell us what you're doing. How are you decorating? Yeah, what that's have you really done? So, so for us this year, um, you know, though we're so excited that we finally have trick-or-treaters because uh, when we were renting before by the beach, uh, that we loved beach life, we had no trick-or-treaters. And I would always buy tons of candy, of course, eat a, end up eating all of it uh, by the end of December. And, um, <laughs> and that and means always, you have to visit the dentist. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when the dentist is your dad, you've got a lot of explaining to do. So for me this year, you know, we thought, <laughs> I really wanted to carry on that tradition that that, uh, we used to do back at your house. So this year we are so blessed to have a great big backyard, especially this kind of side backyard um, that's perfect for having bonfires. It's kind of this this, uh, backyard, this side yard that's uh, under construction at the moment. We're certainly kind of doing gardening. So we are going to have a big bonfire out there. We're going to have, we got an outdoor kettle for hot cider, and we're going to have whiskey and stuff for the parents. So cider for the kids, we're going to keep it a virgin cider, and then for the parents, we're going to have a little side table if they need a little need a little help with that trick-or-treating. Then we're going to have uh, a, a s'mores bar going on so people can build their own s'mores. And then, of course, we're going to have candy for trick-or-treating as well, but we want to kind of that way of getting to know the neighbors, kind of having a little social gathering, um, as well as celebrating Halloween. And, um, oh, that I sounds am just like so, so much fun. And I know you're coming down shortly after, so you'll get to see the remnants of it. But this year, yeah, my husband and I, and we don't even have kids yet, um, but we were almost at the point where we were starting to think maybe we should do like a haunted maze. We thought, well, we should wait till we actually have kids. Uh, but we just bought so many, you know, blow up things that light up and blow, and we cannot wait to um, to really display it all on Halloween. So uh, costume-wise, we may have uh, not gone as scary, but hopefully, hopefully the backyard will have a little a little haunt to it. So 
Um, yeah, we're really excited. How about for yourself this year? Are you guys that sounds, on the tradition? That or what's really, going on for you guys? That sounds really, really fun. I think that you guys will be terrific. Um, and you know what? The best part is, is that you're having so much fun planning it and thinking about it. That's what I really like about it. You know, and, and Halloween is such a, a fun a fun time for young people. Well, what I've been doing really is uh, having to actually doing nothing really for Halloween itself, but mostly doing Halloween for Be The Star You Are for um, people that were hit with Hurricane Matthew. So as I said at the top of the hour, I've been spending all of my time um, working with organizations on the East Coast to make sure to get uh, books and other items shipped to That to, is incredible. Uh, and, that, that and, you know what, and that's always something for us to think, just as I said at the beginning, that $2 billion dollars it's spent on a one-day event. It's something that lasts only a few hours. And I think, you know, these things are so fun. Um, but when you think about it, think of these times, too. A lot of times, and second to Christmas, is oftentimes we think of Christmas is for family and for giving and for sharing. But think about that as well for Halloween. It's Halloween is also a time of families coming together, creating new memories, even with friends. And then think of also, too, of how many people who have been displaced by this hurricane um, who won't be able to trick-or-treat, who have nothing right now. So as you said before, there's ways that you can donate through Be The Star You Are um, to make sure that these people have a little something special coming their way, um, as well as there's other things that people can do. And something um, I know is candy-wise, uh, so I was, I was always a kid that liked to keep the candy. Um, I threw at our community, our local orthodontist and some dentists, and I know out here um, where I'm living now, they offer sort of a trade-in uh, with kids that they can get, you know, uh, sometimes it's prizes or it might even be, you know, $3 for a pound of their candy. One, it gets your kids eating a little less candy, and two, um, it gets them to take the candy and then they donate it to other causes. So especially sometimes it goes towards shelters for people who have been displaced and don't have um, that opportunity. Yeah, that's a kind of areas, what we're so. doing. I, we're calling it trick-or-treat for literacy. So and I uh, love instead that. of candy, I'm giving, uh, we're doing books, you know. So and I that makes me feel good. So at this point, at this point in my life where uh, the, uh, my kids, who are you, <laughs> are grown up, and you're being a gumball machine. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> you know. Hopefully, my mind of what I think, you know, the internet makes everything look so easy. But as I'm slowly making, you know, you're like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, but it, will well, be it sounds love. really fun. <laughs> well, whatever you do, have a safe and happy Halloween. And for everybody out there, have a safe Halloween. And when I come back from break, I'm going to talk about the ways that the healthcare system may be harming you and possibly killing those that you love. So we want you to stay tuned. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Heather, give out the websites. Most definitely. If you would like to, too, to help with this literacy program going on for her, the hurricane, please go to be the org as well as starstyleradio.com. And I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And I'll be right back. Don't go away. Be the star you Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. In- 1999, the Institute of Medicine published a bombshell report that really shook the medical establishment, estimating that nearly 100,000 hospitalized people die each year from preventable errors. But in 2016, there has been an update. And if you look beyond the hospitals, the problem is really worse. A studier this year by John Hopkins University analyzed data over an eight-year period and found that more than 250,000 deaths a year are caused by mistakes by the American healthcare system. And this is taking into account hospitals only, not what happens in, in um, you know, uh, daycare centers for, for patients or just in doctor's offices. Now, this makes medical errors the third leading cause of death in the United States after heart disease and cancer. Uh, our family has experienced this firsthand in the last couple of months with my mother walking into an emergency room because she felt dehydrated after uh, gardening in the heat. And between all the medical errors that were done, the wrong diagnosis, and then just totally um, lack of care, she died uh, 16 days later after causing a, a lot of different infections and all kinds of things that happened. It's really been a nightmare for our family, but it really makes me look at what is going on in our healthcare system, where thousands of patients are dying each year from medical errors. So you need to know more about this, and you need to know how to protect yourself and your loved ones. And Um, what we can do about it. You know, unfortunately, of course, there are lawsuits, etc. California is a very difficult lawsuit because they have a $250,000 malpractice or wrongful death cap. 
unless there are other uh, kinds of receivable income that can be uh, taken from the um, lawsuits. So hospitals know this. And I think the sad part about this is that they're not doing anything about it to stop this in their hospitals. So what are some of the things that can go wrong? First of all, there could be a wrong diagnosis. And if you're just joining me, by the way, this is Cynthia Bryan speaking, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. So doctors don't just miss the weird and the rare conditions. Sometimes they just miss the common problems like pneumonia or congestive heart failure or even cancer. Uh, autopsies and medical record reviews suggest that diagnostic uh, diagnostic errors contribute to about 10% of patient deaths and up to 15% of all episodes of preventable harm in hospitals. So misdiagnosis is the top cause of medical malpractice payouts. uh, And that is according to the Institute of Medicine reports from 2015. But mistakes can spring from poor collaboration, misunderstandings among clinicians, among the patients, the families, and a lot of biases and uh, fallacies, including stereotyping, like I think kind of what happened with my mom, they look at an age, a number on her chart, and they think, oh, she's old. You know, it could be a gender bias. It could be a narrow focus on particular symptoms and uh, being swayed by independent events, um, For example, if five patients come into a hospital with the flu, they might just assume that the sixth one coming in has the flu and then totally miss what the real medical issue is. So doctors often don't even find out if they're wrong um, even later because a lot of times nobody goes back and tells them. So how do you make your care safer? First, understand what your doctors think you have. Now, some doctors aren't going to tell you explicitly. They either don't want to take the time. They just assume you don't want to know the details. Sometimes they just don't want to scare you. But you ask for medical terminology and then go look it up on Google or look it up at home. Does the condition sound like yours or your loved one? And if not, ask the doctor how sure he or she is and why did he or she think this was the diagnosis? Why did they rule out one thing and why are they thinking this? If the answers don't sound right, get a second opinion and preferably from a specialist. If you get a test, ask about the results. We've always been told, you know, no news is good news, but when it comes to medical things, that's not the the case. So much gets lost in the system and so much gets overlooked. And if the results don't add up, you want to continue um, and consider taking that test again because tests aren't 100% accurate. I'm sure that you've had that happen to you before where you don't have something that's accurate. The next thing is just sloppy practices. And in the hospital, this North Bay Hospital, it was very sloppy indeed in the ER. It was just horrific. Um, it's a lot of dumb stuff. They operating, you know, you've heard of things operating on the wrong leg, for example. Well, that doesn't happen so much anymore because surgical teams seem to huddle before a procedure. But the the practitioners are so busy, sometimes they're not reading the charts. Or sometimes what happens is when they're changing the crew, you know, at a certain time, things get lost in the shuffle. So you you have to really watch what the people are doing. A deeper issue can be whether the treatment plan is right in the first place. In a study of people in 12 U.S. cities, it was found that 45% of patients 
did not receive recommended care for their conditions. And sometimes that's due to not following the guidelines. But, you know, more commonly, it's just that each patient is complicated. So we're not an assembly line and there's not just, you know, one disease. Sometimes if you, you have multiple things that go wrong and if you treat A, it might harm B, etc. So old problems persist. Um, a first-of-its-kind study found that 4.5% of Medicare patients developed pressure ulcers, which are called bed sores, in, while they're in the hospital. And that's from not being cha- you know, changed, moved, lotions, all those things. And those patients are more likely to stay in the hospital longer and then to die in the hospital or to be readmitted shortly thereafter. So you want to make your care safer by asking your doctor to give you details on the guidelines and make sure that he's following your treatment. If he- your doctor looks at you funny, definitely get a new doctor or get another opinion. Hygiene. Infection prevention is one of the most striking success stories of the past 16 years. However, uh, the 2016 Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report shows that reducing infections, although there is progress, there is still a lot of infections, especially from IV lines and from um, from any kind of device that is put into your body. Hospital patients pick up an estimated 722,000 infections a year. And although there's, you know, progress, as I said, the, the, the problems still remain with pneumonia and gastrointestinal illnesses and urinary, urinary tract infections. And on any given day, one in 25 hospital patients are fighting a bug that they acquired during their treatment, and 75,000 people will die of them each year. Again, my mom was that. She got pneumonia, she got a gastrointestinal illness, and she got a urinary tract infection. Um, plus, they put her into cardiac uh, arrest through the, um, the uh, putting too much fluids in her. So, you know, I mean, it, it really, it happens. And you don't think it's going to happen to you, but it really does happen. And that is a really sad thing when that, you know, when something like that happens. So what you can do, if you don't see doctors washing their hands, tell them. You know, you don't, you want to speak up. We have to think of patient safety. Poor communication is another issue. And often the details get lost, especially when care transitions from one person, a department, or a facility to another. The notable transition, as I said earlier, especially for clinicians, is the hospital shift. You know, it's like walking into the middle of a, of a play, of a ball play, when you've only seen you know, the first half. So it's hard to catch up on the story. And then problems compound when patients have multiple caregivers because the word doesn't flow readily from one to another. And we saw that with my mom's care uh, in the ER and in the hospital. Now, when she got to the ICU, it was fabulous. But just the regular hospital, there were so many people in and out. And when we would ask them, have they read the chart? Most of them hadn't. They just were coming in and checking vitals. So nobody knew that, you know, what was going on. And again, they put her into congestive heart failure. 
So one of the most important things you can do is to ask questions. That can shed some light on misconceptions. The National Patient Safety Foundation says many situations become clearer with these three questions. What is the problem? What do we need to do for it? And why is it important to do that? So if you're alone, you always have somebody accompany you because it's just better to have more ears when you are in that situation. Uh, dismal discharge planning. Uh, unfortunately, when you are discharged and told you can go home, it's probably one of the most challenging and, uh, and dangerous junctures in the medicine because the patients aren't feeling that great. It's hard for them to understand everything that they need to do, and it's possible that they're being discharged too early. So a, a study revealed that 20% of hospitalized Medicare patients were readmitted within 30 days of discharge. Half of the patients discharged after surgery were re-hospitalized or dead within a year. That's flabbergasting. And, you know, when you think about discharging, you don't think it should be a major focus of the safety initiative. But it definitely is incredibly important. Make your care safer by repeating discharge instructions back to the doctor in your own words and be especially clear on what drugs you need and what you should take and shouldn't take. A lot of you might have drugs at home that you took before you had a hospital stay and maybe the new regimen does not call for these drugs. So by taking them, you could be putting yourself in danger. Speaking of drugs, drug blunders are a huge common type of preventable healthcare harm. Each time a drug is prescribed or administered, there are multiple steps where errors can sneak in. That means anything from ordering the right drug in the right amount, passing that information accurately to a dispenser, filling the order correctly, you know, after double checking for problems like allergies, and giving the right dose at the right time. Missteps contribute to 700,000 emergency room visits every year and 125,000 hospitalizations. Another study this year found that half of drug administrations during or around the time of surgeries have a snafu of some kind. Half, 50%. All are harmful and potentially they are um, killers, and interestingly, at least 80% of those are preventable. So to make your care safer, make sure all your doctors know about each of your medications that you take, including any supplements. You may not think that vitamins are a medication, but they are. So what you should do is bag up any medications or supplements or vitamins or minerals that you're taking, bring them to your doctor, in this, and keep them in their same vials. And in the hospital, get to know what your meds look and taste like. And if a nurse brings you something different, ask why. So make sure care providers check your hospital wristband before giving you anything. I know we were taking copious notes with my mom. We literally had a notebook. We were asking every single person who came in what they were administering, how much, and why. And um, interestingly, sometimes we were just told, well, because it's on our chart. And, you know, that really didn't really didn't cut it for us. Knowledge gaps. Now, doctors are incredibly knowledgeable about most things, but there's new guidelines that are published every year, and there are thousands of clinical studies. So it's challenging for every uh, doctor to keep up. So they can't know anything that hasn't been discovered yet, obviously. And drug companies are supposed to follow up on what happens when people start using their products beyond the clinical trials. But 
there's kind of a lax attention to this important part of the safety net. And so we have to be following up on it. 40% of required studies haven't even been started yet. So keep that in mind. Make your care safer. Ask your doctor, is my care based on the latest evidence? And if it isn't, um, you know, ask why not and find out. Now, yes, there are dangerous doctors out there, but mostly doctors are good. To find out a searchable database of investigative reporting, you can go to propublica.org forward slash surgeons and this will show complication rates for physicians uh, based on data that has been turned in and just as a, a final thing is just remember that adverse effects can happen to everyone and that uh, bad things can happen in almost any hospital but there are certain hospitals that are more prone to disasters than others so try to look into as much as you can. And even when a lot of you are trying to be as safe as possible as our family was, there's going to be some professionals out there who don't take everything seriously and bad things happen. So we're still fighting this um, fight in, on behalf of my mom. We're really sad about it. But we don't want anybody else to die as a result of um, misinformation or misdiagnosis or any kind of malpractice that could go on. So for more information, you can visit the website um, that I just found a lot of information when you go to Google. But you know, another place that has a lot of information is aarp.org. So check that out. And a hospital safety code, hospitalsafetyscore.org. That will tell you what hospitals are like. When we come back from break, we're going to go down under to Australia. We're going to meet with Andrew Drage. He's called Bruin, and he's got a terrific book for us called The Dark Horde. I'll be back in a bit. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376. 376 Moraga, California 94556 Be org. Dare to care Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment
It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. I would wake alone in a dark forest, shivering. Then I'd realize I dreamt this. Somehow I had sleepwalked into the forest at night. The black shapes of swaying trees crowded around me, and the wind taunted in strange voices. It is your choice to hear these words, but be warned. Once you understand what they mean, you will never be able to hide in the warm comfort of ignorance again. It isn't like any other dream. You don't understand. Every day, Lord, I hear them. I see them. I smell them. They won't leave. That is a wonderful intro to our next amazing guest coming to us from Down Under in Australia. It's Andrew Drage Bruin with his book, The Dark Horde. Hello, Bruin. Thank you for joining me here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you very much for having me. That that uh, that trailer gives me chills. It's it is the perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's it a perfect intro. Halloween, I guess you could say. It's very Halloweenish. It's perfect. This is our our Halloween show and our medical malpractice show. I guess we can say. <laughs> but <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, your book. First of all, I want to just give our listeners a bit of a background on Bruin. He does have a, a first class degree from La Trobe University in uh, zoology, philosophy, and statistics, and he's actually a respected IT developer. But he has also written this incredible book called The Dark Horde. Now, he has followed up. Uh, the Dark Horde was, first of all, he wrote his debut novel, which was called Evermore, an introduction, and it won all kind of critical acclaims. And now this is his second fiction novel, and in, a, in addition, he also has five titles in the very well-known Game Book Adventures interactive fiction series. So that's just giving a little background. So, uh, Bruin, let's talk about your inspiration, first of all, for The Dark Horde, because it really is a tingler. It's, you know, part thriller, it's horror, it's kind of a, um, it's a whodunit. It has all those elements in it. Yes. So uh, writing's always been something that I've been um, interested in doing um, from the age of five or six or so. Um, my first story even was a horror story. Um, I've worked with some um, well-known and respected authors um, over the years, some of which have written over 100 books themselves. I started writing The Dark Horde, incidentally, in 1989. It wasn't actually called that then, but it was set current day, which is still the same year, of course, that it's set, um, having published it now. And uh, I was working with a mentor that um, 
instilled in me the belief that um, it was publishable and that I, I was worthy of being published. It sat around for many years um, and then eventually I got back to it because I always wanted to finish it and release it. And that was in 2012. Um, and I might add um, that it, it's out of five competitions I think I've entered it into. I think it's won awards in four of them. So, yeah, congratulations. Um, that, I mean, that's really me something. Yes, yeah, and you know, and you said, you told me before that you really were pushing the limits on the dark horde. In fact, your writing mentor had even told you to pull it back a bit, but you really wanted to go for it. And that turned out to be a good decision on your behalf. What did you mean by that? What did you mean by just pushing it? So when I write... um, it's it's very important to me um, a few things. One is to uh, to write without boundaries, so to speak, or without filters. Um, so there are times in which I'm writing something, and there's a part of me that thinks this is too intense, or this is too much of something, or too honest, or any of those sorts of things. I tend to ignore that as much as possible. Um, I think, as you know, it doesn't matter what you do, some people are going to like what you do and some people are going to hate what you do. And, and you know what? You can't care. That's just you, how it you is. You can't care. Yeah. So ultimately, it's what's most important is to create the work that you actually wanted to to create and you write for different mediums. So in the case of, of The Dark Horde, for example, I very much wanted it to be something that was... Uh, confronting that at, at times that was um, even shocking, um, but at the same time entertaining and even, believe it or not, with humour um, involved as well. Um, so very much um, uh, in whatever I do, I seek to push boundaries and uh, a way I think of it is creating something that if I hadn't have put it out there, it wouldn't have existed. You're right about that because even if someone had a similar idea, no one could write it the way you could write it and nobody can get into your brain, at least at this point in time in our exactly. technological world, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and do it that way. But you had mentioned that when you first started writing this in 1999, it was not called The Dark Horde. You had another name for it. What... What developed into the Dark Horde? What had you change the name and what was that evolution like? Okay, so it, uh, it's an interesting story how it came about um, because it gave me the idea that, gee, I could turn this into a book. Um, it was initially the, and it hadn't necessarily started out as being the idea for a book as such, but it was the story um that i wrote for an english class um i was at a school um it's called Timbertop, which incidentally uh the school that features um quite uh centrally in the the, the dark horde um the school in which a lot of the events takes place is based upon the school that i was at 
1989. So fascinating. Oh, I was wondering where that came from. Very interesting. So that's sort of how that came about. It's a school that's set up in the mountains. It's very isolated. You do hikes every weekend. You have to collect and chop your own wood to keep wood stoke boilers going, which is for your hot water and heating. Um, You do chores every evening, like all the students have to um, get allocated to clean up classrooms and everything else. Everyone lives in dormitories where everyone's got different roles that are assigned. You do cross-country runs each week and um, as well as all your classes. So I suppose all of those things gave me not only the depth of experience um, that that gave me that's different from a normal school environment, but that's where I started to write the ideas for this story. And I remember my English teacher uh, liked the story that I wrote so much. He actually used it as an English exercise for the entire year where uh, students had to take the, the lines that I'd written for the story and he gave them in a random order and they had to reorganise them in the order that should be for the story. So it was very much about the pacing and, and the slow build-up of the, of the tension, if you like. What a great confidence booster for you as a burgeoning author and writer, right? I mean, for, for an instructor to give this kind of uh, assignment for a full year about something you wrote, that had to really give you impetus to say, whoa, I think I'm onto, onto something here. Yeah, very much, and um, it I and it certainly helped to instill in me a, a belief um, that it was something worthwhile going on with. Um, so it was called the Canine Prowler then, um, but that evolved into the Dark Horde even just a couple of years later when I started to work with uh, Margaret Clark, who's published over a hundred books herself, and. She became mentor for me over the next couple of years. It's so, so yeah. great to have a mentor. Now, Definitely. the character, yeah, the, and she sounds amazing. Tell me the character of Danny. He's your main character. And yes. what was, was he a Congol, you know, kind of a, an amalgam of people you knew? How did you design him? Okay, so that so there's so there's really two main characters. Um, one is Danny, as you mentioned, and the other is Brian. Danny is a fourteen year old boy at uh, this school, so he's the same age as I was then, and um, Danny is is very socially isolated, um, very uh, prone, you could say, to um, depression and and those sorts of negative emotions, um, dealing with issues like suicide and that sort of thing. Um, I wouldn't say that that was me, um, not by any stretch, but uh, I, I guess I wouldn't I think so, unless you've changed a lot. Yeah, I was certainly channeling those kinds of things. Um, he's bullied. He doesn't really have any friends. He's um, he's very vulnerable, um, and so I I use that character as someone that uh, the Dark Horde themselves. He was a a suitable target for their um, attention, and. 
were were able to manipulate him according to their agenda. Um, and the other main character, just to just to add in, is is Brian, who um, he's a very time, interesting character too. Yes, yes. So Brian um, is at the time of the book. I you think he's thirty seven, um, but. Essentially, he's um, the head of the local police station in the local country town around where the book is set, Hauqua Hills. And he, I wanted to, to me in writing, um, it's very important to have characters that are believable, which which means that they're flawed. Um, so these certainly aren't heroic characters by any stretch. Um, and particularly in terms of Brian, um, I wouldn't even say that he's particularly likable. Um, he's quite abrasive. He doesn't handle the stress very well. He's separated from his wife, um, to whom uh, he had two children. Um, they're going through all sorts of difficulties. He's with um, a, a girl that's much younger than he is, um, other staff at the police station are disapproving of that whole relationship and, and the way that he's managing his separation from his wife. Um, and over the course of the book, his, his, his world around him collapses. He, he just isn't able to deal with everything that's going on, which, again, for the Dark Horde, makes him a, a vulnerable target for their attention. Well, the interesting thing I think about it, what you said, is your characters are very well developed, Bruin, and uh, and you're so right. They they wouldn't be interesting or fascinating if they weren't flawed, because human nature is flawed. Human nature, we're all vulnerable. We all, you know, have these crazy things that happen to us. So, exactly. And so it's important the way that you, um, you know, you carved out these characters. Now, I want to give your website out so that we don't run out, in, out of time, just so people can check out the Dark Horde, and that's spelled uh, H-O-R-D-E. And that is thebruin.com. And I just also want to just jump to, because you were just yesterday on our teen show, uh, Express Yourself Teen Radio. So if people want to find out more about some of the other things that Bruin has been doing, like his video games that the kids were really excited about, they can listen to expressyourselfteenradio.com. But would you say, uh, also just tell us a little bit about all these um, other kind of fictional characters and the infinite universe that you've created. Tell us about that. Okay, so I've worked with Tin Man Games and I forgot to do a shout-out to, to Neil Rennison yesterday when we did the interview uh, for that. Um, well, here's a shout-out today. <laughs> exactly. And, and I actually counted how many titles they now have. It's 33, in fact. Um, wow, that's so, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing really well. The game books themselves um, are interactive, uh, choose-your-own-adventure-like stories, if you like. Most of them have dice elements as well. So 
Um, there's a series well-known, uh, particularly in the UK and Australia from the 80s, called the Fighting Fantasy series. That's very much the inspiration for these. Um, they're on uh, all different platforms from your iOS to Android, PC, uh, Mac and Linux. And they're essentially stories where the reader is making choices. So there's pictures. It's, it's like reading a book, but there are pictures and links and Infinite Universe is the title that I wrote, and there were five other titles that um, I also worked on with them. Um, and the characters there, again, I wanted them to be flawed. I wanted them to be unique and and real, I suppose. Well, all I can say, Bruin, is you are one talented cat. <laughs> I mean, doing all of you, being able to do these interactive games as well as writing these very intricate uh, fiction novels and The Dark Horde being such a frightening novel. It's a perfect read for Halloween, so I want to encourage you to pick it up at your nearest bookstore or online store, and if all else fails, and please just go to the website anyway, go to The Bruin, T-H-E-B-R-E-W-I-N dot com, and you can see um, his trailers on our sites. We'll be listing all of his YouTube sites. He has more spooky trailers. They're wonderful. And I'm sorry we're out of time already, Bruin. It goes so quickly when you're having fun. It does, yes. (laughs) But I want to wish you continued success, and I'm sure that, you know, you'll be back here on the show or our team show with some of your other new concoctions that you dream up. And, uh, again, just thank you for joining us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This is Andrew Thank you so Grace much for having me. Bruin, www.thebruin.com. His latest book, The Dark Horde, and his debut novel, Evermore, an introduction. So enjoy, go and see it. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, brought to you by Be the Star You Are Charity. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. If you'd like to get involved in helping with our Operation Disaster Relief, visit bethestarur.org. We really appreciate helping others. For other information, you can visit starstyleradio.com. You can see pictures of Bruin and his books there and get links to all the different blogs and information we'll be having for him. As always, my aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. We want you to cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment. And, of course, read a book this week and make it the dark horde, the dark horde. (laughs) Until next week when we celebrate again, remember, love always wins. Kindness always prevails and smiles will keep you happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. I thank Andrew Drage Bruin for being on the show. Go out. You you are so welcome. And be the star you are. And have a very, very happy haunted Halloween. Be safe. Thanks for joining me. We'll be together next week, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestarur.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.